Thank you for tuning in to the First Gen Hunter Podcast, the go-to resource for those seeking to establish a foundation in hunting knowledge, skills, and tactics. Hey, 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 everybody. Welcome back to another episode, this time rolling at you hot and fresh off the podcast griddle here on a Tuesday morning. You already survived Monday. We're two days into the week now. Good luck. We can make it, people. We can do this. Oh, I hope you've been having a good spring. It's been nice and chilly here in Iowa. We had snow on Easter, which uh, is kind of an unusual thing. Um, And, uh, you know, I'm one of those people who believes that uh, our planet isn't quite functioning at what is normal. So uh, it's probably a warning sign of sorts. However, twice on Easter Sunday, uh, each of my older two children said a prayer at like lunchtime or supper time or something and both of them expressed in their prayers gratitude for the snow and um you know i think there's probably a lesson to be learned there right be content in whatever circumstances we find ourselves in and uh life is a little bit i don't know a little bit sunnier even in a snowy easter day but one nice thing about the cool weather is it helps slow down that green up and extends shed season i'm sitting at 19 sheds people if you've been following me on instagram you've probably noticed that each of my posts has been like alternating between scooping sheds and burning crp it's just that time of year i've been getting a lot of that in still got a lot of crp to burn this this spring and hopefully still got a handful of sheds to pick up was sitting at 19 i gotta go get that 20th and actually the guy who's uh, been knocking all on all the right doors for us and getting us permission on just dynamite ground uh, mr caleb drake should be joining us here very soon on an episode of hunt therapy and uh, we'll get to learn more about him He's uh, kind of in the works. Uh, I'm going to spill the beans here for him a little bit. He's in the works on a little special project of his own. And uh, there's some exciting details there coming up. But, uh, yeah, it's just been good to be wandering the wandering the woods, wandering the fields with uh, uh, some good people this spring. And, uh, you know, it might have you thinking, it's like, dude, what are you doing still looking for sheds? You know, we're almost getting to mushroom season. At least I think we are, right? I mean, how does that all factor into, you know, a cold spring? Well, we're going to talk to the guy who's built the, I guess we could say, the modern almanac for the outdoorsman, the all-around outdoorsman. Mr. Chris Chang of My Season Report is the guest on this episode, and he is going to tell us about this incredible uh, application he has built to help you decipher all those things right so you might be like okay what you know how is that really useful well let me continue answering that question by asking you a series of questions and you tell me the answers to them of course that's impossible because you know you're listening in your car right now but uh it's a one-way conversation i get it but if i were to ask you okay when does mushroom season officially kick off in my area or hey what about turkey season you know that's going on right now 
I usually hunt the fourth turkey season. I still can't tell you the starting date for that. I really need to look that up. Um, what about uh, if somebody wants to go buy a, um, you know, a tag for a western state for some kind of hunt there? Is it too late? Do they still have a chance to do that? Are they down to just over-the-counter options? Well, my season report helps answer all those questions. See, that's why we got to talk to Chris today. And so Chris is going to explain how his idea came to be. He's going to tell us a little bit about his background as an outdoorsman. I should say avid outdoorsman. And we're going to have all kinds of good conversations about ways in which our lives are rather quite similar right now. And uh, it's just a great conversation. One that was actually, I probably should have called this a hunt therapy episode because it was therapeutic to talk to Chris, a guy that can relate to my life right now on so many levels. But you'll hear all about that in just a few seconds. Let me not postpone this any longer other than to say, make sure you are getting outside right now and make sure you got Spartan Forge in the palm of your hand showing you the way it has been such a game-changing tool for me and my friend caleb that i just mentioned earlier both of us using spartan forge all of the time so make sure you get yourself onto spartan forge if you aren't already all right let's roll with it here episode 86 on the first gen hunter podcast thank you so much for tuning in getting the itch it's been a great spring so far for shed hunting uh yes we have adopted the the idea that we are the unofficial shed hunting podcast here on the first shed hunter podcast just because i pitched that idea to somebody who is an, a much better shed hunter than me someone who has is a much greater authority on the subject but I got ghosted when I suggested the idea and uh, probably because it was a bad idea. But uh, <laughs> I'm going to take that role as being the unofficial shed hunting podcast out there on the airwaves for people to come to. But it's been a good spring. If you follow me on Instagram, you've been seeing the uh, the miles adding up and the piles stacking up. It's been a good year. My best year, actually. Met a new friend th through it, and he's having a great year, an even better year than me. And uh, it's just been a lot of fun uh, enjoying that aspect of the outdoors. But I'm ready to start hunting for something that I can eat. And turkey season is the next thing on the calendar. And, uh, you know, as you guys as I've, as I've confessed on here before, I am not a good turkey hunter. I have yet to fill a tag for turkey season, but I'm getting closer. I inched a little bit closer last year in the sense that I actually saw some turkeys, <laughs> heard some turkeys. And uh, so I kind of have a good idea where to pitch my blind this year. But the problem, and I shouldn't say problem, the, the deal that kind of runs interference on this whole uh, successful mission is I'm definitely biting off more than I can chew. And the fact that the new turkey tradition that we established last year is that I bring my dad, which isn't, you know, that's, he's actually helpful. He can carry stuff and everything. So that's no problem. But 
I bring my son with me as well. And last year he was three, this year he'll be four. <laughs> and that just adds a whole new element of keeping somebody quiet and, uh, you know, having extra gear for somebody. And it's, just, it's another hurdle, but I am confident that this year will be the year. And I don't yet know what season I'm going to hunt. There's, I believe, four turkey seasons here in Iowa. But maybe after tonight's conversation, after we talk to Mr. Chris Chain of my season report, maybe I'll be able to take a look and figure out what exactly the season is that I need to be looking at here in my home state of Iowa. Chris, thank you so much for coming onto the show tonight. Look forward to hearing more about this really unique and a really good idea <laughs> that you've uh, come up here or come up with here in the my season report almanac. Thanks, man. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. Yeah, definitely. You know, Chris and I, we had a we, we could have gotten a little bit carried away here before we started recording. We could have talked probably for several hours because we can relate to something right now. We are both middle school science teachers. We uh, understand uh, <laughs> a lot of the crazier parts of uh, life right now that each of us could uh, tell war stories about. But um uh, Chris is a science teacher, but, uh, like myself, that wasn't necessarily a uh, plan a when, when we, uh, you know, when you're supposed to have your entire life figured out when you're uh, like 17, 18 years old and you go enroll in college and you start pursuing this, uh, super expensive degree. And, uh, uh you kind of get to a point where you're like, I might need to, uh, pivot here. And, uh, so, uh, through talking with Chris, I believe you were kind of on a path to become a genetic researcher or do some work as a genetic researcher. Is that, is that true? Uh, yeah, I was at uh, university of Virginia getting my PhD in biochemistry and molecular genetics. But around that master's checkpoint, I just realized it was not the the life I wanted. Hmm. Mostly just I, I realized my heart wasn't in it Yeah, uh, compared to the deep, deep bench of people whose heart was 110% in it. Mm. And uh, just looking down that road, it kind of made me realize, like, I, I like to do stuff. I like to dive in. But this particular avenue just wasn't it. Yeah. Uh, well, hey, good for you for noticing that early on. And and I think a lot of people, you know, they just feel that duty once they once they get going down a, a track like that. And they, um, you know, they, they don't, they don't, I guess feel the enough pull from their heart, like you said, to do what, what they know they probably should do, which is go try something else. So very good. Very good. Well, uh, so a, a guy who's uh, working in school every day, um, I do want to camp out on this point just a little bit, give a shout out to my future teachers. Of course, if you listen to the last episode of this podcast or two episodes ago, I guess, um, at the beginning, I talked about how uh, I am shifting gears myself in my career, kind of the same deal that Chris is talking about, but on the other side of it, and uh, um, I'm going to pursue a different career field myself. But well, hear me out for a second. Teaching is critically important to uh, continuing our society as we know it, right? And uh, there are a lot of great things that we kind of forget about that we get to enjoy here in America. And uh, if you really trace it back, a lot of it goes back to having an 
educated populace and you might be ready to throw rotten tomatoes at me right now and say educated what are you talking uh, just hear me out we the majority of people in this country i would say i don't have any stats in front of me right now to tell you this or not show you the kind of science teacher i am don't even have the data there chris but uh <laughs> i would say the majority of people in our country right now know how to read they do um yep. and the the majority of people in our country know how to do some basic math and there are still many places on this planet where people would would uh, pay any amount of money to be able to be taught how to do those things effectively. And so uh, not that illiteracy isn't a problem here, not that um, uh, people <laughs> may struggle to pay with cash instead of a, a credit card, but um, there's, there's, there's definitely something to be said for what has been provided by, um, you know, getting people those resources to learn. And so you see it, if you know a teacher, you see a teacher, thank them, try and, try and give them some grace. We're not perfect. We know that, but neither are you and neither would anybody else who's got to walk into a classroom with, you know, 25, 30, uh, 13 year olds, uh, and, uh, <laughs> try and, uh, keep them all on task and learning something and dealing, navigating life's issues. So we try really hard. And uh, we give it our all. And uh, Chris, and just talking with him, you know, I've gotten to know a lot of teachers through the years. He's got that passion. He's doing what he's meant to do. It sure seems from uh, my standpoint here. So thank you, Chris, for the service to your community and to our country through the classroom, man. Well, I appreciate it. Same to you. It's, uh, it's a really rewarding career. Uh, and like I was telling you before we started recording, I am a I'm extremely fortunate to have a really good community that let me kind of pursue different things that I want to do. Sure. So like one year, instead of just learning magnets and electricity, let's build electric guitars. And so oh, nice. we, we spun the, you know, four or five miles of copper on a, on a pickup and soldered it together. And, you know, that was our project for a few weeks and stuff like that. So like, when you have that kind of freedom, it's, it's, truly something special yeah yeah and there's a lot there that that chris just mentioned that i've gotten to experience in my career at different points as well where when you when you're truly backed like that and people trust you to to you know what we're educated to do we you know i think sometimes uh you know that you get this bad rap for teachers a little bit like i remember there was a tv show and when I saw it came out, I was like, great, here's another, another uh, way people can, can look down on us. It was called those who can't do. And it's this, I, you know, the old phrase, those who can't do teach. Right. And then uh, for all my PE teacher friends out there, the phrase goes, and those who can't teach, teach PE, but I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> the, the phrase, you know, that's damaging. You know, that that's, and it's not true. There's some of the most capable people I've ever met are, uh, very skilled outside of the classroom in the things that they're teaching in the classroom, far more skilled, even than people that do those jobs every single day. And, uh, so it is, it is important to, uh, support your teachers and let them have that kind of freedom, uh, to, uh, teach what they're passionate about, put their heart behind it and, uh, you know, lead their students to fall in love with the learning process and where that learning can take them. So, 
Yeah, I think that I think you're you're right on the money there, Chris. Man, that is that is a, a good way to say it. Well, we can't talk education all day. We've never really done that on this podcast, though. You know, this is going to be episode eighty six, I believe, and uh, so this is the the first deep dive we've done into education. So I think we we got some leeway here, but let's keep it moving. You are not only a teacher, you're not only a hunter, you're not only just a you know. A, you're also a science teacher, but you're also a dad. You're living the dad life. Right now, yeah. you are balancing your computer, you told me, on a <laughs> stroller. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a really nice desk, actually. I got, I, don't worry. I have the wheel locked, so it's not going to get away from me. We're all good. It, is it one of those jogger strollers, you know, that has, like, the front wheel on it that you can never get to go in the right direction? When you yeah, no, this, this <laughs> desk that I'm using has uh, air-loaded springs. We're all set. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Well, so so a family guy. Uh, how many kids you got? I, I have one daughter. Awesome. Yeah. Congratulations. They, yeah, she's uh, just behind yours. She's uh, coming up on three this summer. And Very it's, good. you know, all the cliches are true. It's all awesome. Every yep. bit of it. Yep. Except for, you know, we just encountered our first true toddler situation where uh, she, right in the midst of us having a conversation, like, you know, I, do you want to try for another? I think we could do it. We hear a flush and we're like, what? No, what's that? And she runs back. She's like, I flush my cup. <laughs> oh no. no. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of those. Uh, we're, li- we're right in the midst of that one right now. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. oh man. Yeah. So yeah, you gotta it's, and that's the worst bomber. thing. I mean, it's, it's wonderful. Yep. Yep. There's so many cool things and it reveals a lot about yourself too. I think when you uh, start having some kids running around, you know, uh, especially when you start hearing them say the things you say or, or uh, respond to certain situations the way you do, it's like, Ooh, man, maybe I, maybe I taught them <laughs> yeah. that, but, uh, <laughs> but no, it's, it's a great thing being a, being a parent and hopefully you're able to start incorporating the outdoors with her. Uh, I think that's a hugely important part for us as uh, outdoorsmen to find a way to include our kids and uh, get them excited about the things that get us excited. I think that that creates for some really special bonding opportunities there. And uh, oh, some re- yeah, yeah. And, and yeah, my, uh, we, you were talking about shedding, uh, shed hunting earlier. And uh, that was, we just went shed hunting a few months ago and I, Took her out, you know. I told her we're gonna go look for for reindeer antlers. <laughs> Not really expected to see anything, and kind of like you, I had my best find ever. Just this massive. It's so gnarly. It's it's anywhere between a thirteen and a seventeen point. Oh my uh, Found goodness. both of them right next to one another. And wow. So now she oh. that's what you do in the woods. <laughs> <laughs> you spoiled her for life, man. Oh yeah. Oh no, that that is awesome. I love it when it works out like that too. You know, just low <laughs> expectations. And, oh yeah. And it's like, man, you need to have low expectations more often. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, that's that's really cool. All right, so yeah, Family Guy uh, teacher but also a hunter. So how did you get your start into hunting? Was it kind of the, the same deal that you're doing with your daughter where you're, you know, basically as soon as they can walk, you're getting them outside or uh, did you uh, kind of have to find your own way? Uh, kind of a little bit of both. Uh, when I was a kid, I grew up in Colorado in South central Colorado in the mountains and awesome. what an incredible place to grow up. Uh, I mean, yeah. I had hard scrabble mountain range behind uh, Westcliff was only 30 minutes away. So we were often in 
deep in the mountains and just hiking. And so my dad brought me hunting there a few times. Um, I was a little young at that point to, sure. to really get into it. And we moved around. I uh, did a little squirrel hunting, but really never, you know, I, I never killed my first deer until I was an adult. Uh, sure. Mostly just because by the time I got in high school and college, I was, yeah, I was living in the South. And I think there's, uh, there's just something in me that I like the mountains. I like that grind of, of walking up and down. Yeah. And, uh, I was also doing the science thing too. So, you know, hunting wasn't really a part of my life at all then. And then moved around the country, uh, for a few different reasons. And then, uh, came to UVA for grad school and was reintroduced to the mountains again and having Shenandoah national park, just 40 oh, minutes man. away and all those hikes, uh, George Washington national forest. It, I remembered what it was like living in a mountainous area. Cause I was living not too far from you, uh, down in St. Louis for a while. And so sure. 10 plus years of flatland just kind of made me forget about the mountains. And then, uh, once I, I got on the trails, it's like all that stuff came rushing back. And then it was one thing after another, let me get out there and try and then get a deer with my 30, 30. And then, Oh, I need a better rifle. Get one. Then, Oh, I need a bow. You know, it just, it's been <laughs> a nonstop awesome. since then. That's awesome. Well, you fit this podcast well because, uh, you know, maybe not technically since your dad got you introduced uh, a first gen store, I'd say by, by, uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe by proxy. I don't know if that's the right term there or, or by, by technic or by practicality, you would, uh, be a first gen hunter. I mean, having to figure it out yourself like that later on, that is, that's what it's all about. Oh, yeah. And, and that's challenging to do too, you know, but also very rewarding. You know, not that somebody who, you know, normally on, on the show, he couldn't be with us tonight. Um, guy who's actually not far from you, uh, my co-host Brandon, he's in, uh, kind of the Delmarva area. And, uh, of course, anywhere in Delaware is in the Delmarva area, but, uh, <laughs> but, but, um, he, uh, you know, he's been hunting his whole life and, and he's certainly been able to enjoy the benefits of that, that we don't get to enjoy, um, as, uh, people have come to it as adults but there is a certain level of appreciation i think we get to enjoy by uh uh doing that you know so pretty pretty cool there that you're able to do that and pretty cool that uh you know the the serendipitous road that you kind of followed of getting into um uh grad school and kind of not going down that road but ending up living there and and settling in there i think that's pretty cool that how that all comes together you know so oh, yeah yeah, that's that's really cool. Well, what about uh, this uh, coming, you know, twenty twenty two season? You know, here we are. We're looking at turkeys, and since you're in the south, I don't know. Maybe turkeys have already opened up around you, um, or maybe you're uh, planning to head west again and uh, look at some western bear hunting opportunities or something this spring. What do you have? Well, um, what do you have going for twenty twenty two? Turkey opens in, I think. Uh, about two weeks uh, from no, about a week and a half now. So I'll be going out in the mountains for that. And kind of like you, I've not yet punched a turkey tag yet, but um, I'm trying and I'm getting closer. Last year I was able to hear them. Uh, I feel like <laughs> I gotta share that. Uh, but I got a buddy. Yeah, I got a buddy who's who's coming with me, and he knows turkey hunting. I was fortunate enough to bring him out on a uh, on a deer hunt last year, and so we're kind of. Uh, he's returning the favor. I put him on some deer and he's going to put me on some Turkey, but, um, 
the rest of the year, I, I'm just looking forward to getting back out fishing, hiking a lot more. It's been a prolonged winter here. Uh, but then the fall, I, you know, so last, last fall I got my first bear and I didn't expect to, to like that as much as I did. I am definitely going to be pursuing a bear this year. That's that awesome, is man. Phenomenal. Yeah. That is, that is so, awesome. I try to have at least two or three deer, but uh, definitely putting a bear in the freezer as well. Every chance I get. That's awesome, man. I'm, I'm doing my first bear hunt this spring. I'm, I'm going out, I'm heading West going to uh, Northwest Montana. So um, that gives me hope. And uh, oh, uh, a fellow first timer, you're already uh, celebrating that success. And uh, has, uh, you know, from a cooking standpoint, has that bear worked its way into a lot of meals for your family already? I've almost eaten the whole thing. It, it's wow. <laughs> uh, it is uh, shockingly good. It's got a fat content. Um, you know, I, when I was, you know, everybody goes through a reading phase with with hunting. Uh, I was reading some of you know, like Teddy Roosevelt's early books. Oh yeah. Uh, where, uh, where that he was writing out in North Dakota and he has a passage in there somewhere where he talks about how bear was actually the, the high class food and venison was the popper food huh. back in the day, strictly because of the fat content. Sure. And, uh, I was buying tags for the last few years wanting to try it. And, uh, you know, it's a long way of answering in terms of cooking. It's just so much more of a complete meat versus venison. I love venison. That's going to be my staple, but there is that fat content that it cooks a lot more like beef and it, it renders in an interesting way. It's, it's really good. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. I'm, I'm really excited for that side of it. The, the whole, you know, of course you hear about, uh, bear grease and 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 how the historical significance of that here and in, in uh, the Midwest and you know really black bears are one of those animals that's in almost every state. In fact, I'm I think I'm in one of it's like five or maybe ten states that do not have a a black bear population here in the continental US. Well, actually might be might be all the US. <laughs> I might have the same status as uh Hawaii unless Hawaii has black bears that I'm not aware of. But uh <laughs> you know, I, Hawaii, Iowa interchange them all the time. <laughs> <laughs> but uh no I I mean that you just look from a historical standpoint that I don't know why they don't get this recognition, but they're really kind of a, you know, an all American critter, you know, something that like the bison or like the bald eagle or the wild turkey or the white tailed deer, uh, and maybe even more so in some of those cases, really has been a, you know, foundational member of the wildlife community here in, in North America. So, yeah, Absolutely. really, really cool. Maybe, that, um, okay. No, I was just going to say, really cool that you've already had that success. No, it was, uh, it was not expected. You know, I, I he kind of came up on opening day of deer season. So I was, I was all jazzed and, and that's a use case of season report. I was able to pull up the regulations really quickly instead of fumbling through and see if it's actually in season. But, uh, <laughs> no, I, I got him and it was, uh, he, he was kind of a nuisance bear. Um, he, he was coming straight up my scent line and sure. I even tried to like ward him off, but he just was very curious and so, uh, you know, the one thing led to another, but I think pursuing one out West has got to be, that's got to be kind of the pinnacle of, of bear hunting. Do you, 
so you don't have bear there. Do you, have you encountered them a lot on trails or out in the woods? No, I have, I've seen a few bears. Um, I guess you'd say in the wild, um, when I've gone out, I've been out to Montana for some trout fishing trips and, and so forth in years past. And we've, we've seen some and, you know, we've camped in grizzly country, you know, a handful of times. And, and, um, I'm not, you know, I don't think I've ever really seen sign of grizzly presence. Um, but I've seen a lot of black bear sign you know um you know scratching trees and 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 stuff like that 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 uh i've come across but i've seen you know maybe definitely less than five black bears in the wild and uh so yeah i mean i i definitely feel like uh what you know just getting up there to a glassing point because it's a spot and stock hunt you know, where you're going to be camped out on a, on a peak somewhere and, and looking out and, you know, just the first time I see a bear, even if it's like a sow with cubs, you know, something that's not even legal to, to take a shot at you're just being watching that is going to be so special to me because that's, that's, that's a borderline brand new experience for me. And, and I haven't seen a bear in the wild and boy, I don't know, maybe, 10, 15 years. So, so, uh, it'll be, it'll be special, you know, every aspect oh. of that, but I do have, I gotta say, I got a little paranoia going yeah. into it from the grizzly side, you know, um, <laughs> I don't know how, how close everyone listening in has been following the news, but just two days ago, a sounds like a shed hunter out near the Yellowstone area, um, was just, uh, mauled to death by a grizzly and, uh, you know, follow the events going back to this this summer we had the fishing guide out there in the kind of the same area i believe he was uh, uh or he was a hunting guide that was fishing that's what it was he was out fishing and uh he kind of stumbled across a dead moose and there was a grizzly that was you know eat, feeding on it and viewed him as a threat to the food and got after him killed him and the lady that was on the biking trip and in uh uh montana last summer you know bear came into her yanked her out of her tent in the night and you know it's just there it, things seem to be getting kind of hot out there in montana with with grizzly bears and you know we got two science teachers here so we're always cautious when we t talk about what all oh, this needs to happen you know we, well there there's such a more complex picture uh to how everything ties together ecologically and um i don't have enough data there to say that we for sure need to open a you know d-list grizzlies or whatever but from an anecdotal standpoint you know there's plenty of hunting guides and people that are around these things every day that would tell you that Grizzlies have, have changed in the lower 48 to the point where they're not, you know, you go to Alaska where, uh, and we've had an, uh, an Alaskan, you know, grizzly guide on this podcast before, and he said this himself, two different animals, you know, a grizzly here in the lower 48 compared to a grizzly in Alaska where they're hunted. And, um, you know, there's definitely some, I don't know, some animal behavioral science that you could probably look into there and and maybe come up with a real answer on that and i wouldn't be surprised if it said that yeah there's some truth there so i gotta i gotta admit that you know got a little bit of paranoia heading out there just on the side of the grizzlies and and i've, I've you know i've camped like i said i've camped where grizzlies are at but 
that was a while ago and grizzlies have really been been doing well <laughs> from a population yeah. standpoint for a while now you know you know but, i uh, we went to glacier not a few years ago and you know you just kind of expect a sidearm might be the the best defense and then they just lay out the the data from university of montana that shows that that bear spray is so effective yeah and i uh you know i don't have much to talk about with grizzlies but i've seen many black bear uh out here in virginia and the first few years i didn't see any and then all of a sudden i'd see two and then three and then this past year there were seven uh so the population is really growing and you know obviously black bears are completely different animal from grizzlies but the you know we were hiking one time and got got bluff charged which was pretty terrifying but oh, um i bet yeah so i got but um i ended up taking the safety off the bear spray uh for the first time in my life this past fall so i i got that bear a buddy went a week after in that same stand and he, he texted me or he called me afterward he was like you're not gonna believe this I had a mom and three cubs oh, sit right under the stand and he didn't, he didn't have anything on him. And he said he was just like holding the arrow. Like, I don't know. I guess if they come up this, up the tree, this is all I got. But, um, you know, fortunately everything worked out well, uh, for that. But I thought after that, all right, I got a bear. This mom came through, I got my spray. I obviously, I'd, you know, I don't want to tangle with her at all. Oh, right. Yeah. The very next time I went there, another male comes through. He's like, oh crap! This is a lot of bear here, right. and he started getting kind of. He didn't get super close, but he got close enough for me to kind of game plan. All right, if he comes around that tree, uh, that's that might be within spray distance. And so, like as he was coming up, I took the safety off just because I'd never actually shot it. Maybe five years ago, I, I tested one of them. That stuff does have some range, and um, it does pack a punch because that bear ended up leaving. And I put the safety back on, put it in the bag. And uh, maybe an hour later, I couldn't tell where the wind was. And so I did the whole like lick your finger, put your put your finger up in the, the to see the wind. Yeah. And uh, my mouth turned into lava. An hour later, I didn't even know I got any of that stuff on me. So all I can say, man, is use your bear spray and trust it because it goes far and it hurts <laughs> man that is that is a good that's good to hear yeah we're definitely doing both you know we're and I have this guy that i know that's a an alaskan uh uh brown bear which i mean technically brown bears grizzly bears same deal now but um he uh mentioned that he said you know that different situations present different needs right sometimes it may be the or even like you you were saying he echoed the same thing he said the vast majority of time spray is your best your best weapon uh, just more coverage um you, you're not you know you got a whole cloud as opposed to one single projectile the size of your fingertip you know uh you you um don't have to worry about killing the animal is a good friend of mine uh that normally is on this show or is often on the show i should say is uh mr alex gruen who um is kind of serving as our guide on this on this hunt and uh he said i'm not pulling my gun on a grizzly unless i got a scratch on my face just because of the, <laughs> i don't want to have to prove my innocence you know of shooting a uh uh 
protected species uh and and so there's definitely there's definitely that side of it as well you know it, i mean you know what you saw when you're in that situation but you better believe that there's going to be people that think that just because you were out there hunting anything uh mm-hmm. you were in the wrong and they're going to want to see you burn for uh there being a, a dead grizzly on the ground they're gonna they're gonna really push push for that so mm-hmm. yeah i think that i think that there's plenty of reason to be carrying bear spray out in the woods and i definitely will have a can or two on me so uh <laughs> i think the thing that really uh sold it for me was when we were reading the, that study from university of montana they were talking about it's 99 percent everybody walks away uh with spray but then they broke into the numbers for for just sidearm defense and sure. i can't remember i'm not going to throw out the numbers but i do remember that they said in every event that there was a, a sidearm used, um, or maybe not every event, but there was this, something stuck out in my mind where they they retrieved several bullets, nine millimeter, forty five, that had actually kind of scalped along the skull and never Whoa. pierced the skull. So I just hearing that, I'm like, that's a serious thing. So like, all you're doing yeah. is making them mad, right? Right, man, that is nuts. Yeah, I. I really hope that I don't have to shoot a single shot for my bear pistol. Um, I think you'll be fine. I yeah. mean, can't, how many times do you go in the woods and never see them? Years. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yep. That's, that's what I'm hoping for. We got, we got a group of four of us. So I think that definitely helps to, you know, just strengthen, right. strengthen numbers. So, yeah. but I don't know. You start thinking about that stuff more when you got a few little ones running around, you know, Chris and I, we just took a break here for a second. Cause I had to tell my kids good night. And, uh, <laughs> oh, there was also a little bit of a technical difficulty, but, but, um, you know, once you start getting a few of them running around, you start, you start feeling a little less reckless, you know, oh, knowing sure. that there's, there's little people kind of dependent on you, uh, coming home in one piece. So that's, uh, that's that's kind of where I stand though for uh, this upcoming bear hunt. But so are you going to go back out again this year and get another bear tag for there in Virginia? Uh, you can get one per year. Okay. Uh, fall season, and so yeah, I'll be I'll be doing that. I also put in for the for the very first Virginia elk lottery this year. So that's um, right. I saw that. I saw that. Was that on? Did you did you post that on Instagram? Is that where I saw that? Um, several people have, uh, I probably, I don't know if about a post, but I think I might've put a story up. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That, that is so cool. I, that is one of my favorite, um, hunting or not, not even hunting, get rid of the word hunting there for a second. That's one of my favorite wildlife stories, uh, in, in American history, the bringing elk back to the Eastern part of our, our country, um, elk. Uh, I think a lot of people don't even realize that that elk were such a prolific critter here. And when, when people first started moving into, to this continent, elk everywhere. Um, a lot of people look at my state, a prairie state of Iowa. And they think, Oh yeah, you guys used to have bison. Uh, we actually had more elk than we had bison and it wasn't even close. And so, uh, I think it's so cool to see those, those, uh, Populations reestablished. Of course, there's you know, just like with anything else, um, there's there's still a little, I don't I don't know how you say it. Maybe like a a little reminder of the consequence in that being that the 
I'm trying to remember. I think it is a subspecies of elk that lived. Yeah, yeah, it'd be a subspecies of elk that lived in the eastern, you know, east of the Mississippi River. They are extinct. Um, so when they repopulate, they're using western elk species or subspecies, I guess you'd say, uh, to um, repopulate. Now it's been already Kentucky, but and Ooh. Pennsylvania. And now uh, Virginia, which, I mean, the the repopulation efforts have been going on for quite some time, but now to the point where they're a huntable population. That is just, uh, to me, that's wild. That's that's a beautiful thing here in our country. Oh, it, it's such a, I mean, it, it gives me goosebumps, uh, honestly, as cheesy as that sounds. No. It, it just, the fact that we had the wherewithal to observe, record, recognize what was going on. Yeah establish a plan with Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation and different state wildlife agencies working together. I mean, seeing some of the footage of how they, they obtained some of the elk and transported them, reintroduced Mm -hmm. them. It's just, it's, it's everything that should happen. Uh, Such a success story for not just hunting, but for, you know, public lands in general, just the ecology of North America. Yep. And it, it gives more reason to preserve those areas too, you know, elk, elk take a lot of room. They do. And they take a lot of, they take a lot of specific habitat that isn't, you know, what a white tailed deer is able, or even a black bear for that matter is able to use, isn't going to cut it for elk, which is why elk can't, can't be reestablished here in Iowa. You know, there's our landscape is too modified to where it wouldn't support them. There's too much ag, you know, they would do too much. Yep. They'd be doing uh, too much crop damage to, to where there would be, that'd be a huge war, but Mm -hmm. you know, in a place like Virginia where there's still enough of those places that look pretty close to what they did at settlement. um, We can, we can help, have a reason to preserve those spots by putting elk back there. And like you said, the chills thing, I don't think that's an over exaggeration and people probably think we're a couple of science teachers just nerding out right now, but you look back at our hunting heritage in this country, you know, that's what Daniel Boone was chasing around over in the Eastern half of the country. You know, he was, and Simon Kenton, you know, he would have been all over in, in your area. And, uh, you know, we could just go on and on down the list of some of those early frontiersmen and, uh, elk was a staple to them. So yeah, chills is a great response, I think, to being able to hunt those. And that's actually a bucket list for me is to to go down to Kentucky and uh, yeah. hunt elk down there. But same deal, it's a lottery. So <laughs> yeah. I'll probably have to keep applying for a while. But Oh, yeah. I was texting to a buddy earlier. I just can't believe I live in an elk hunting state now. That's wild. <laughs> yeah, that's, that, that is wild. And I, I've had, I think I've had now maybe... Th- three guys on here from Virginia and we talked about this every time Virginia is such an underrated hunting state you know I think people know there's some outdoor value there but I think a lot of people think of Virginia Beach too but there is some great hunting to be had in the state of Virginia the commonwealth right the commonwealth oh yeah the the wilderness is there is is the special thing and you know I was I was uh flatland bashing earlier you know Missouri and Louisiana (laughs) but I think really it's it's not a it's not a topography as much as it is a public lands there's mm-hmm. a colorado yep. filthy with public land virginia has an incredible amount of public land where you can just get out and explore louisiana there was it was it was rather difficult a lot of leases and sure. really nothing 
established, no culture established to just getting out in the woods unless you were on that lease. And then, you know, Missouri, same thing, so much farmland. And so I yep. think that's that uh, it all works together. That that wilderness area that's still preserved is preserved for a reason. Yeah. Oh, I, I totally agree there. Here in Iowa, I think we rank 47th, either 47th or 48th for public land access. So, yep, that's a that's a very real part of it being here in an agricultural state for sure. But you do get monster whitetails. So there's <laughs> that's, a true. That's, that's true. All of our genetically engineered corn produces some uh, pretty uh, some pretty uh, wild uh, whitetails, and I, I I'm not ready to give that up. Uh, so. I, there's that there's a there's a price tag for that that's for sure well hey you know before we totally move on from the, this background side of it i think an interesting thing that we could we could continue on a little bit with the teacher talk here and and just you know building this this painting this picture here of how much uh, we can relate on uh, just because we even though we're on different parts of the country we live pretty similar lives in a lot of ways um you know, when you're when you're an outdoorsman and a science teacher, okay, and I'm going to say science teacher specifically here because I do think that it puts us in a little bit different situation than, say, a wildlife biologist. You know, I've had wildlife biologists on here many times that love to hunt, and uh, I'm sure they, they could relate to us on this a lot, but they would also see the landscape differently than what we can understand, you know, as teachers, but as teachers where you're constantly going through textbook con, you know, concepts, we'll say, we'll just call them that, you know, fundamental knowledge, you know, you got to understand this base concept in order to apply this concept, you know, when we walk outside and we are, you know, we're shed hunting or we're deer hunting or we're bear hunting or whatever it is we're doing. I think we we kind of like get a unique perspective on and I'm not saying it's a better perspective it's just unique in that we can see where this content is that maybe you know when we hear students say oh when am I ever going to use this in life which by the way going back to an earlier rant when you allow teachers to just teach what what they're you know, obviously within parameters here, you gotta, gotta hit, gotta cover the standards to some extent, but when you let them run with it, uh, that question rarely gets asked. When am I ever going to use this in life? Cause they see you using it in your life, but exactly. you get to kind of like see that real world connection between those concepts. Would you agree with that? Oh, certainly. Uh, it, it just provides, you know, personally, because you talk about it, you're just paying attention to more. And then you bring more back to the classroom. And for yes. years, I, I didn't share so much um, just because I, I the, the population I teach, just hunting isn't prevalent like other parts in my life. And so I just never knew quite how much to share. Sure. Uh, but more recently, I've become more comfortable with it. I think season report has really helped me feel comfortable uh, sharing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, not that there's anything wrong with it. It's just you know, that age group. You gotta you gotta introduce lightly. Not yeah. everybody's ready for that concept, right? Um, yeah. But um, you know, I bring in. I brought in a boar skull um, from Louisiana. I bring in sheds. Uh, I have a project that you know because getting directly to your question, I killed two two falls ago. Uh, I killed uh, my first buck with a bow. And I was floored. This guy was, uh, That's it was awesome. the solo trip I wanted where it was just, I went out by myself, 
stood in the rain, got drenched, uh, got him cleaned. You know, the whole thing yeah. start to finish uh, was was solo, which was a personal benchmark I wanted to hit. Yeah, and sure. uh, so I did. I got that, and then about three four weeks later, went out to that same area for rifle season, and I got another buck, and uh, I noticed that there was a very peculiar asymmetry in both sets of antlers and sure. obviously starting same area different ages uh one was a year older uh and so the question arose is this are these related and so this year bought a pcr machine for my classroom we're doing preliminary crime scene introductory stuff that but next cool. year over the summer i'm gonna be making primers and really i'm re uh talking to a few different labs that do uh, do deer work about how best to approach that question. But next year, a uh, complete lab is going to be, are these two deer related? And we'll get some Dude, positive is, controls and negative controls. That is so, awesome. Yeah, I think, to answer your question, I think it enriches my life personally, but it certainly enriches the classroom too. Yeah, that is that is awesome. Yep, I, I wholeheartedly agree. And it was kind of the same deal for me. You know, I kind of, I don't know. And I think it's just like you think, oh, how much are the kids going to care, you know? That you didn't really incorporate it into into class very much, and then a few years ago I started doing that, and it, it totally shifted a gear. You know, for the kids, they're like, "Wow, this is interesting." You know, I'd share, uh, you know, when you're putting your 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 lecture notes together or whatever, you know, I'd start putting trail camera pictures in them instead of going to Google Images. You know, oh, you want to see this animal? Here's a picture that I got with my. You got that? You know, or you know, you show them something that you snapped with your your phone while you're out wandering through the woods or whatever and yeah it, it it just connects that for sure so i think that that's that's an important part of it you know within our our uh our shared backgrounds here just just enjoying enjoying outdoors as a as a um teacher as a science teacher is is really important but also you know some things that that people may see pop up, you know, so our, our buddy, uh, Charles over there at Howl for wildlife. Um, yes, yes. I mean, man, you want to talk about an incredible hunting wildlife movement, man, this, this is shaping up to be something. I mean, I, I don't really know what to compare it to so powerful, but, but, um, one of the things that you'll see pop up there often is, voicing our concern or our opinions to states that still have what we call blue law hunting laws, you know, which I think Virginia, do you guys have, you, do you still have your uh, Sunday hunting ban there in Virginia or is it just your neighbors over there in Pennsylvania? Pennsylvania does. I think Virginia just got overturned. Uh, Was that like a yeah, year ago? Was that like a yeah, year ago? Either a year ago or this year. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, perfect. I, I didn't even think of that connection before I, I put this on the script for tonight. But when you see those blue laws, think of your teacher friends, okay? <laughs> you may think that the summers off are great, but summers off do us no good except for a spring bear hunt out in Montana. Uh, they do us no good when it comes to the hunting schedule. And now if you tell this person that uh, you don't get to hunt Sundays, you know, it's and hey, you know, I'm a religious guy. I, I'm a church attender. I think that uh, my rear end belongs in a church pew uh, every Sunday. But there are times when I think it's totally fine to get out in the woods. And when when time is of the essence, you know, think of a gun season or something like that where you got a real brief time, you know. 
get you need to be able to get out there and and uh, get that done. And so when you see those blue law things pop up, don't just like you know keep scrolling past like yeah who cares. No, that that makes a big difference to some people. And teachers would be one of those groups of people that stand to benefit a lot because Monday through Friday their time is occupied. And especially if this daylight savings craziness continues, uh, once once uh, that that clock winds back in November that, that, you know, possibility of hunting after work in the afternoons kind of goes away. So it's, it's a, it's a good, it's a good thing to keep your eye on. So I had to work that in there. Especially if you, uh, when viewed from, you know, new hunter recruitment, how is somebody who does work a nine to five, regardless of occupation, how are they supposed to even begin to really get into something they can only do one day per week for a months a year <laughs> yeah right right yeah for sure it, there's so many reasons for why why that needs to change and and you know again maybe i think the intention was good clear back when but um life, life has gotten life has gotten infinitely more complicated since those days and uh people are allowed to do whatever else they want on those sundays they can go to eight million hours of of travel volleyball if they want to but they can't go out and hunt come on you know that's let's uh let's get let's get moving on here but uh so don't don't forget about teachers when you think of those blue law uh, rules go go out there and let your voice be known and and again the point that Chris made too, though, just uh, as being a, a science teacher in the outdoors, getting to relate back to your students is, is so critically important as well. So, yeah, I'm, I'm glad I got I'm glad I got a friend now who uh, can relate to all that that side of it. Okay, all you fellow first-gen hunters, veteran hunters, and anyone else with a great big fat hunting dream that you have not yet tapped into, I'm talking directly to you right now. And this is a personal testimony. You're hearing it straight from the horse's mouth. And that is because I am a customer of good old Alex Gruen over at East to West Hunts. And I'm going to tell you right now, there is not a better hunt planning service in the business here is how thorough alex is i'm just going to give you that that first person testimonial that hopefully will help seal the deal for you after i get done recording this ad i'm going to use a promo code that alex sent to me via text message to save me big bucks on a really nice hunting pack that i've had my eye on for months now and uh, he just kind of came up with this promo code just yesterday, got it in the mail or something. He said, you know what? I'm going to save this for you. I know you got your eye on this pack. He sent it to me. Alex has sent me workout tips. Alex has been there around the clock from all my inquiries on different pieces of gear, from sleeping bags to tents to rifle scopes. And he's got connections all over the place. So he... He knows where to send you to get you the right stuff to not only make it so that you can get out on the hunt, but you can be comfortable, get a good night's sleep, and hunt effectively each and every day of your trip, truly maximizing the dollars spent to get there. And I think that's probably the biggest value in all of this. Alex has so much experience hunting all over North America 
that when he sends you somewhere, you're not going there blind. No, he's going to send you to specific places within these units that he, either through his vast network with guides and outfitters or from his own personal experience, his own waypoints that he's saved on his hunting maps that he'll share with you so that you have the best chance at being successful. So head over to www.alexgruen.com and do your hunt planning with Alex through East to West Hunts. Be sure though, when you go through and you start checking out all the options, I should say he's got multiple options there, depending on what your the right price point is for you. Be sure you enter the First Gen Hunter Podcast listener code, First Gen 10 at checkout. When you enter that in, you'll get 10% off of any service you purchase through Alex. Again, that's www.alexgruen.com. Use the promo code FIRSTGEN, the number 10, at checkout. Save yourself 10% and get going on that hunt that you've been putting on the back burner for all these years. This really, you know, the season report, the genesis of it really started on an, a trip with my eighth grade. Uh, you know, I take them out in the mountains for three-day um camping trip uh and there's a lot of fishing so they get to to all several of them <laughs> are on their first gravel road uh let yeah. alone fording <laughs> their first river yeah let alone uh catching and, and eating their first fish and you know that they can do as much or as little as they want but out there they all are oh wait we get to catch a fish and can you show me how to eat it and all that and that's that's excellent but yeah. one of the years we went to a trout fish hatchery and it really kind of dawned on me that the trout in a lot of the streams in Virginia are stocked mm-hmm. just yep. because they have to be. And then talking to the, the wildlife biologists there, just the, the, the magnitude and scope of the problem that is the fact that they dump like millions of pounds of, of organic matter into these streams every year. Mm. And yeah, like what, what does that really look like in terms of stream quality and water quality? If you were to remove that food source, uh, how quick would the, the ecosystems living in those waters kind of degrade away uh, if we weren't doing that intervention that's that's led and fueled by by fishing license sales and stuff? And so yeah. thinking about all of that and, and kind of brewing the storm in the back of my mind, like there's big forces at work and like how could I start to help point the needle in the right direction? Yeah, well, that's that's good, and that's where we need to really transition this conversation to is talking about how my season report came along. But you know, that's cool too that you're taking your students to do that because what you're doing there is you're creating future conservationists. You know, people who are getting presented with these facts, and and you know, it's alarming to to hear stuff like that. And that's good for us to hear, though. It's good for us to know the truth and and not be able to shy away from it. So yeah, very important. But, but yeah, so my season report. Uh, you kind of gave us a little clue there that it came to be as, you know, working through your job as a teacher and incorporating your students uh, into the outdoors a little bit as much as uh, could work, which is really important and uh, a worthwhile endeavor, I, I should say. But how did, you know, so so was it just on this one field trip where you really started connecting the dots there? Or was there more going on in the back of your head pertaining to, man, there's so many different hunting regulations. There's so many different. I mean, what how what was the need that caused you to build 
my season report? So the need was what we all do. Uh, if you have a few different hunting spots, you know, every year uh, I hunt in a few different locations in Virginia. Uh, I don't even go out of state, but even within state, there's different bow seasons, different firearm seasons for deer, depending on county. Sure. And it's, it, I had a number of those situations where I, I went out to the mountains and I, oh man, I wish I would have checked this species because I would have brought you know, this item or, or whatever. And two years ago, I, I sat out, uh, or two falls ago, I, I sat down and I was like, all right, I'm going to make my own cheat sheet. Like a lot of people have done. Sure. Uh, and I was just doing it through Excel. And then I realized, wait, actually, uh, so if I back up in grad school, I, I had this massive problem where I was tasked with like finding green dots adjacent to red dots on like 5,000 images mm-hmm. and <laughs> I refused to do that. And so I took a coding class and um, <laughs> I kept up with it a little bit since then, just cause I knew that at some point there'd be some massive data set I needed to know how to wrangle. And sure. <laughs> it's weird how I, I kind of had that feeling, but it just, it always dawned on me like, this is a good skill to just let go. Oh, to yeah. So, um, you know, it, it kind of was a perfect storm, uh, you know, COVID was, was happening. So there was a little bit more time to just sit and kind of, uh, think and you weren't distracted constantly. Um, and I was filling up in that, uh, cheat sheet and I was, I had been designing this lesson, this coding lesson for my classroom and it kind of clicked on me. I think actually some of the code there would lend itself here. And so I started playing around with it and created, you know, just a personal cheat sheet. And then, Hey, let me, I know my buddy, hunts in this county let me make them uh, a cheat sheet and then just one more thing of like i wonder how, if i could do this statewide and then could i do it for friends in louisiana and colorado and it kind of slowly grew and then at every step of the way i kind of uh every person i i asked what they thought of it they all were just shocked like how hmm. does something like this not exist yet uh with that kind of being the response across the board i just uh you know hunkered down and, and wrote a lot of the code for, for the country. You know, we kind of find ourselves where we're at now where I've got one fall under my, under my belt and it's been really cool hearing all the different ways that it's beneficial to people. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can get into some use cases in a second, but I'm not the only person that, that faced this problem and to have like created something that's actually helping people and saving them time. It's, it's really rewarding. And then over the winter uh, I realized probably needed a little bit more calendar year and yeah. that's why I, I added in the foraging gardening and slowly introducing fishing as well oh i think that's i think that's brilliant you know the the <laughs> i like how you said when you took that class you just knew that was going to be useful so it's kind of like when you buy a tool for like a a certain job you have to do it you know like a project at home you're like man i don't want to spend the extra 20 bucks on buying this tool that i need for this one job but you're just looking at it and you're like but i know i'm going to use this for a million yeah. other things i don't know what they are yet but no sometimes life gives us those, those situations so that's cool but yeah it is a need and um actually when i yeah. Again, something we can relate to here when, when COVID hit and we did as teachers, you know, get that little, uh, 
bit of extra time, I guess you'd say, um, where everything slowed way down. And, you know, a lot of people got extra time at that point. I think a lot of hunting podcasts were born out of COVID, <laughs> as was this one. But it was already something I had been kicking around in my head that I was going to try and do during the summers. And that was one of the things I thought of was like, man, you know, a good service that first and hunter could at it could could include that I haven't seen anywhere else is a way to keep track of what are all the hunting seasons, you know? And, but I started looking at that and I don't know anything about coding. I don't know how to do that, but, but, uh, I was like, that would be a huge amount of work, you know, to, uh, <laughs> research every state, every species, sometimes like you're, you know, like, You'd be like turkeys or bears where you could have a spring season and a fall season for the same species, you know, mm -hmm. there's, there's just a lot that goes into that. So without giving away too many, uh, uh, you know, I guess we'd say trade secrets here. Um, how did you like, was that just a ton of work that you had to tackle at first in order to like get that huge bank of data to then sift through and organize into each state and maybe even each County? It was, yes. <laughs> yeah, it was a, a whole lot of work, but uh, it was kind of investment work. It, I put a lot of time in up front, and now that new regulations are coming out, everything's a lot easier because I, I already have figured out the framework that I want to present the data in. Sure. And the process is that much quicker. So anytime you do something the second time, it's, it's quicker. But having everything... Uh, up and running it's it's proving uh much much easier to handle and good. it's coming at a good time too because the world's starting to open up again and it's um, <laughs> don't quite have like that co i think i used covid really well <laughs> uh fortunately yeah right right no that's that's good that's and i think it's a it's a great it's a great service so we're kind of talking around it but i guess we haven't really fully explored what it is and people are probably like that's all great guys but what is my season report what is this thing that you guys are talking about and so probably a key word to use here is the word almanac and uh, uh of course we're talking hunting regulations here we're talking different seasons and that but but um can you just give us like a I don't know, the elevator speech version of what my season report is as it stands here in March of 2022. Certainly. It is, uh, it, as I added food and, and foraging, it, I think a modernized almanac is a really good way to think about it. It is what you can hunt, when, where, how, what methods, when. Uh, it, so it, it takes your all your locally personally sourced food opportunities and puts them into one dashboard. And so it's, it's a way for you to manage only the information you care about hmm. quickly, quickly accessible. Uh, that was what I really wanted to accomplish. Just delivering the information when you're, when you see a bear walk out, I don't know if it's season yet. Um, I, I need to know exactly a date. And so right. those types of situations, it's delivering, it's delivering information as quick as possible. And then in the off season, I, I forecast dates for, because they change, but they change subtly. And so yeah. by taking everything together, it's a way that you can plan with your buddies that hunting trip with a little bit more certainty than just kind of guessing, oh, I think, you know, I, I project those things forward. And it's it's really just a, uh, I know this isn't quite elevator speechy, but it's it's all your 
personally sourced food opportunities. Uh, everything you would normally Google, it's just brought in location specific uh, and you can save or remove whatever you care about. Yeah, I, I like the term there, which is really kind of a, you know, a, a buzzword and website use right now, which is that dashboard feature of that immediate, you know, okay, give me the, give me the quick menu here of what I need to see because you're right. Those thoughts do come into our minds, you know, you're sitting there and like that pesky squirrel, you know, well, can I shoot, can I fling an arrow at that yeah. squirrel right now? Well, you find out real quick or, or, um, you know, you might start seeing people, uh, from a different state posting that, Hey, I've found a whole bunch of morels this weekend. You can be like, well, I wonder if people can find morels this time of year where I live and, right. uh, you can, you can get that, that right away. So yeah, there's, I see a ton of value in that for sure. That that's a, a huge need that, that has existed that, that you're, you're stepping into fill there. So now people get this service by subscribing to it. So, Correct. I mean, let's say, you know, well, we'll take me for example. I, so I usually hold hunting licenses in at least two states every year. So is this something like if I subscribe, okay, can't you get Iowa, you know, you get all of Iowa's information, or is this something that if I'm a traveling hunter, you know, I'm going out to hunt bears in, in, um, you know, Northwest Montana, is this something that I'm going to get to take with me and, and be able to, you know, look up questions on there while I'm, you know, hunting in Iowa and in Montana? So that, that's a great question. And, um, you know, just to back up for a second, I appreciate you having me on because I'm getting that question. Like what is season report with a, a scruffled, uh, brow, just because it's kind of this, I'm getting a lot of responses that it, it almost feels like a new type of service here where oh, you're yeah. bringing together a lot of stuff in, in one uh, way, but, uh, you know, to get to the question you just asked about, uh, nationwide or state-based, you know, Early on, I was, I was trying to think how can, you know, it has to be able to pay for itself because I, you mm -hmm. know, I'm investing time yeah, and money to make it work, but, um, you know, it has to be able to be self-sustaining and, and hopefully at one, one point, uh, profit. But, um, I really didn't want to make something that was expensive or tiered or, or geared towards people that, um, you know, are already spending money on, on other things sure, that yep. offer a lot more. I, you know, I, I am trying to create a really affordable service nationwide. No, no, nothing really complicated. It's simple. You know, the almanac is something everybody can understand. I'm trying to create that nationwide. And so I, I haven't broken it down to state by state, uh, Particularly because, you know, what about those people that live right on the edge of a state? Mm, you know, yeah. my, my, I have family that live at the northeastern ten, uh, end of Tennessee, and it would just be cruel to have a Tennessee <laughs> purchase, but then you have Kentucky, West Virginia, North Carolina, all right around right, there, you know? Right. Uh, so, no, it's nationwide, and you can plug in everything that you. So, personally, I use it where I have all of my Virginia hunts that I care about, I have all of my Virginia foraged foods that I care about, my garden. Uh, it's just a, a good way to view all those different things. Uh, fishing limits, it really helps out mm, a lot yeah. with. But I also have that Montana elk that I always want to go on. <laughs> uh, and it's just there as a personal reminder. It's right there in the dashboard. Oh, man, I, I could be 
I could be in the mountains of Montana right now. And I think just by creating that unique experience, it allows you to set goals, allows you to stay on top of your information. You know, I, I'm still understanding ways that this is useful to a lot of people. Yeah. No, I think it's, I think it's got a ton of potential to really revolutionize that side of hunting, you know, uh, and you know, basically what it is, if you're not catching on yet, you know, how when you go to get your, you know, the old fashioned way of getting your hunting license or your fishing license, they got those, uh, newspaper material, uh, booklets sitting there on the counter that are, uh, you know, like 70 pages long, all the hunting regs or all the fishing regs. It's all that wrapped into, into this plus, the additional information on on uh, the food side of things too, really with foraging and and gardening and, mm-hmm. and and that side of it. So, you know, I think that that's that's something that we also need to talk about here as well. Um, but before we do, well, you know what, I'm going to kind of go in reverse here of what my script is because I think I think it would make more sense to do it this way. So. Let's talk a little bit more about the foraging side and the gardening side just a little bit. And, and even, you know, I would assume fishing is, is mostly like you said, it would be pretty similar to hunting. You know, some fish, there's seasons when you can fish for them. Some, you know, limits the, the, the right, you know, if you're a fly fisher, what's hatching right now that I got, you know, match the hatch sort of thing. But, but um, for gardening and foraging, what kind of information are people getting there? Uh, so for gardening, you know, it's, it's plant hardiness zone specific, mm. but it has all of the normal stuff that you would go to a Lowe's or a Home Depot to buy, uh, you know, seeds or, or small plants, uh, you know, tomatoes, peppers, plenty of veggies, fruits. There's a, there's a whole lot that you can grow there, but it breaks it down by location and then time when you should be, uh, sowing your seeds, when you should be transplanting or, uh, increasing, hardening up and toughening up your plants. Sure. Uh, that period is there. And then when you should plant and expect just a growth phase and then kind of an anticipated harvest. And some plants offer a little bit more uh, predictability than others, but it, it kind of lets you see forward at different times, especially uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to using this in terms of all right, when should I really start thinking about canning all the tomatoes I'm going to be producing or making that tomato jam? Mm. Because it looks like two or three weeks from now, I'll probably be getting a lot and it looks like I have a lot on yeah, the line. Yeah. So, you know, it just, it, it kind of helps provide that cohesive feedback. Um, and then foraging, you know, that's something I never really got into until after I had been hunting for a while. And, you know, I love mushrooms, but, and I've, I've grown a few on logs and stuff and that's cool but it doesn't compare to going out in the woods and finding your own. Right. Um, and I think when I visit, I have a lot of family in uh, Scandinavia and I went and visited them and it was in the middle of chanterelle season. And there's just all these chanterelles <laughs> that people go in <laughs> and grab so that cool. morning and bring them to a market. And then, you know, for like a, a one Euro, they'll just saute it all up and it's incredible. Wow. Right. And so at that time I'm realizing there's so much good food. That's not just hunting. And I started, you know, looking for morels, which I've, I'm still unsuccessful. That is a 
a personal <laughs> hill I'm trying to climb three years now. I have not found. I know plenty of people who have found them. I haven't found them yet. That is a tough. Um, that's a tough but, one to uh, get down. I've had I've had my own share of struggles getting into some good morels and being again being a science teacher out in the woods. I feel like a, a total flop, but uh, I can commiserate <laughs> there with you. I found a few though, but but what? not many. Like, all right, I need to look for poplar, elm, proximity, yep. side of the hill, water. I just need to go on a walk <laughs> and like fall and have one right in front of my face. But um, yeah, and then, it, you know, I, I mentioned this on um, the Harvesting Nature podcast, but I think one of the big, big motivators was pawpaw fruit. And mm. pawpaw is, it's a weird banana-like custard fruit that's indigenous to southeastern United States. And I heard my students talking about it one day and I'm like, wait, what's going on? And I, <laughs> I went out to try to find it and I finally found it. I couldn't believe there's a whole fruit that I had never heard of. And so all those things yeah. together just kind of uh, really started clicking and, and adding in at the same yeah, time. I, that's one of the things like, I don't know how to describe this feeling, but you, you know, when you hear about certain things, you almost feel guilty that you aren't taking advantage of them, I guess is maybe the best way to describe it. Like, uh, uh, maybe you hear somebody who like comes up with this incredibly simple, but yet very effective and successful business idea. And you're just like, why on earth did I not think of that? <laughs> you know, but I kind of get that feeling when it comes to foraging, because I know of morels and I know there's a few other edible mushrooms out there that that people go after. I know about wild asparagus and, and ramps and, but there's just mm -hmm. so many more things out there growing wild that, uh, we could incorporate, we could, you know, really maximize the landscape from a food standpoint that we don't even know about. So I assume that that's kind of that, that exact problem, that exact, uh, I don't know, self a bit of self-loathing for not <laughs> taking the time to look into it more is kind of what my season report is is also addressing there with the, the foraging side, just educating people on, hey, there's all this stuff. So Absolutely. And, you know, you, and then you start to really look at your your local ecosystem throughout the whole year, and there's, all, there's always a food source available, and um, it just provides, a, you know, your teacher, I at this point I'm starting to realize like it's an interestingly subtle education mm -hmm. tool where you can get out and source as much food as possible. And, you know, it, paired with everything that's going on in the world right now, as you see what's happening to wheat in North America and Eurasia, it's going to start getting pretty tight at the grocery store too. And yeah. so I'm, I'm really uh, thinking this is going to be empowering to people to, you know, get them up to speed really quickly and, and easy to digest. And I provide links for every, every different food source uh, that you can go and read much more than I'm providing. But I, I just want to create that hub where people can think about the dinner table first and kind of spiderweb out yeah, from there. Definitely. And, you know, I think it, I think that that was almost good for us a little bit, that food chain shortage, I guess you could call it um, for uh, come, you know, right when, COVID shutdowns were going on and, you know, all the meat packing plants that were all shut down and people really went, showed up to the grocery store and there was a lot of stuff not there. And, you know, like you're saying, there's talk of that happening again here very soon. And I think it's almost, you know, it's a hardship, but a lot of times hardship 
makes us better in some ways if we treat it the right way. And one of those ways is to, you know, self-evaluate and say, hey, why are we so dependent on this one thing being here for us that we have no control over? Whereas being able to go out and, and uh, you know, take a walk in the forest and come home with a basket full of food, you know, that's, that's an important skill to have, a, a worthwhile skill. And it helps people live more connected to the land and value the land more conserve the land more and be, be willing to, uh, you know, keep our wild places around. So, yeah, I think, I think there's a ton of value to, to, um, being willing to do that. And then just, you know, being more mindful too, of what we, you know, how many other people's hands has our food gone through by the time that it's sitting in a grocery store? You know what I mean? It's like, if we were to, put all those people in a room, you know, if, 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 uh, we were to have a, we'll, we'll go back to teacher talk here. If we're going to go to the teacher's lounge and someone brings, you know, cookies in for everybody, uh, to, uh, hand out and we handed them out in, a, in an assembly line fashion, you know, and you're the 30th person in the assembly line to get your cookie after 30 people had touched it, you probably wouldn't be too keen on eating that cookie, but yet, just because we put some plastic gloves on people and say it's been inspected by, by a food plant, you know, we're, we're totally okay with it in any other context, as long as we don't have to see it. But, you know, I think there's just value to, and that goes hand in hand with hunting for our food too, you know, but, but definitely, you know, don't glaze over this side of what my season report offers, because I think it helps us not be so dependent on these other things like Chris was mentioning. So that, transitions me to my next question that I almost asked earlier, you know, a lot of subscribed for services. So the presenting sponsor on here, which by the way, I mean, having this conversation with you reminds me of a, uh, uh, one of my favorite, uh, Virginians out there. Uh, although I think he's, I think, well, maybe he's Maryland. He's, he's in the DC area, but a uh, good old Bill Thompson from Spartan Forge, the presenting sponsor for this year podcast. Um, just another guy who saw a real need, found a really creative science-based way, forged his own way through it to, to create Spartan Forge, a, a deer behavior predicting app. But on Spartan Forge, there are so many additional features besides just the deer predicting aspect of it. And I think when people subscribe to things like Spartan Forge or my season report, they subscribe with one idea in mind. I want one place that's got all the hunting regs, but then they're, they're essentially paying for, you know, that might be like maybe 50% of what this tool offers, but what about the other back end, the other 50% of great features that aren't being used. You know what I mean? That, that people just aren't maybe investing the time or they aren't quite sure how to maximize the usage. So could you kind of like give us the rundown on how the, the best way that people can use my season report? Yeah. The best way would be, uh, first just go to seasonreport.com. Uh, I've been really focusing on making it super simple to log Mm -hmm. in. Uh, that's important right off the bat. that's important uh, yeah just between you visiting and you starting to use it uh and so just log just sign up for the free trial i give a two-week free trial just because i want people to you know a lot of people have said that's probably a little too long because people look up the regulations and then not pay you but i'd rather you know lose some some money uh 
at the expense of people who do pay for the subscription, really taking the time to understand what it is, because I, I think it does take a little time to kind of get used to thinking about all your local food opportunities in, in one mm. bin. It's easy to, to fragment them. And so I think first things first, try the free trial. Uh, you can search nationwide, save different food sources to your dashboard, play around. Uh, and then another really cool thing is the discover feature. So search is obvious. You're, you're going by activity, location, right. and species you're going after. But the, the discover is something I've, I've built in with the traveling hunter in mind. And so you can, if you have two weeks off in September and you've always wanted to bow hunt with uh, bow hunt and elk, you can put those search terms in and see nationwide. Oh what man, fulfills that, is, that is that awesome. Desire. And it's, you know, I'm, I'm only one guy coding it. So I, I, it's not the most polished at this point, but I'm really just trying to make the engine before I put a nice coat of paint yeah. on it. Uh, and I think pro by providing that just nationwide approach, I, I didn't realize how many states have an elk hunting opportunity until you go in there and, and play with it like that. Uh, I didn't realize you could hunt deer with a hand <laughs> <laughs> until I started putting this stuff up. Uh, I think it's Delaware or Connecticut, one of the two. Um, yeah, and so you can you can probe the nation uh, for whatever you want. And in terms of traveling hunters, I think when you have that opportunity to save dates, limits, and stuff in one spot, plus being able to search nationwide instantly, I, I think it's a it's going to be a different, it, it is going to be kind of the standard that people view uh, hunting through in a few years from now. And that's, yeah, that's a great way to say it. And, and a great way to describe how to maximize the usage there too. And definitely don't forget about all those other cool sides of it. You know, don't, don't just be short sighted here and look at, at the meat side of the, of the dish. You know, there's all that green stuff that we need to be eating there too, that, that deer ate that we're eating, you know, that, that the foraging side of the app and the gardening side of the app can really help us, uh, kind of master that part of setting the table, so to speak, um, as, as people who go out to the woods for their food, get groceries the hard way. And, you know, last fall, a friend of mine, uh, came in deer hunting and really put a, a huge motivation in my head to include that foraging because we found chicken of the woods, mushrooms mm. and got a deer. And so having fresh mushrooms and, and tenderloins, oh, man. all I can, I can point where all, both of these food sources came from. That was really powerful. Yeah. You know, when it comes to, to cook, things pair well with what they eat. Right. And so broadening out what, what the animal eats, like you, you said, is a really powerful way to use this. And I, I hope people would just, when you're turkey hunting, you know, take a look at and see if the morels are in or in the yeah. fall is when a lot of forageable foods are, are available. Yeah, that's another great point. Uh, really see what else you can do. Yeah, that's it. another great point. Yeah. I mean, how often do, in fact, last year about this time, we uh, created a, a new t-shirt idea during one of our podcasts on turkey hunting. I think we were going to call it the triple crown. If you can, uh, if you can uh, tag a turkey and find some morels and uh find a shed all in one all in one trip that's that's the triple oh, that's, one trip. The, <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's the triple crown so uh no that would that would uh 
that would be a really handy use there to figure out what else you should be looking for. But great concept. I don't think you're gonna move a lot of those shirts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it would it would definitely need a niche market. I don't even qualify yeah. for the triple crown. So <laughs> but that's uh no that I think that that's a great that's a great aspect of it. You know, how do I maximize my time that I'm spending out there? And again, you know, that's what, what also takes me back to reminding me of Spartan Forge is, you know, from the deer predictor side of things, um, it, it makes our busy, crazy lives of the 21st century. We need to be efficient with the time that we are given where we get to get out into the woods. And so my season report is going to help you with that if you uh, subscribe there. So Definitely follow Chris's advice there. Go and do the free trial. See what it's all about. And it sounds like you're going to be really interested in sticking around if you do. So how do people uh, get on board? Can you give us your website again? And then just give us maybe your Instagram and whatever social media handles you got that people can follow along. Certainly. So it's seasonreport.com. And on Facebook and Instagram, it's at my season report. I tried to get season report, but it is a... Uh, European high fashion magazine. Uh, they <laughs> so I've been saying it the wrong way handle. this whole time. I've been saying my because of the Instagram handle, but it's just season report. Well, it's uh, and this is you know this is something that might be uh, confused. So it's seasonreport.com, and you are uh, you are correct. My season report Instagram and Facebook okay. handles. Yeah, if you go straight season report, you're going to get European high fashion. <laughs> Good to know. Good to know. But, uh, Yes. Yeah, so Instagram and Facebook is at my season report. Very good. Very good. And one, one quick thing about, uh, you know, you mentioned, uh, Charles with Hal. uh, I've been fortunate enough to talk with him. I'm actually one of their, uh, earlier sponsors. And so if you take an action through Hal, oh, awesome. uh, I'm more, you know, a discounted, uh, membership to season report is available to you. And so if you do want to give this a try, go to seasonreport.com play around with it, see what it's like. And if I, I have a lot of developments behind the scenes that I haven't, uh, that I'm working on that I, I haven't released yet. Uh, so if you want to, you know, dog ear this website and, and try to incorporate it in your life, uh, but you, you want to uh, give it back to conservation too, you can use the code Howl and it brings your, so my normal subscription is 15. It brings it down to just 10 for you. And then I kick half of that back to Howl. Wow. Uh, to, to aid with what he's doing. Cause you know, I really want this to be a, a big tent, uh, conservation focused hunting forward, uh, service. And yeah. I think by bringing all those different views together, it really lets people understand the ecosystem and the factors governing it. I think I agree. Howell has got such a, a unique take on it. I really look forward to seeing how he can, continue to to point all those voices in the same direction to keep those wilderness areas intact oh yeah yeah for sure yep such a such a powerful thing there going on with uh with howl that yeah that's awesome so yeah remember that code howl and uh you'll be giving back uh, you'll be supporting a good guy like chris for one but you'll also be giving back to howl too so that's money well spent money that goes a lot farther than than uh you might think so that's 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 great to hear well definitely get on there follow chris get a subscription there using that discount code of howl and uh you know get yourself going with 
my season report and make that time in the woods so much more valuable. Also, don't forget about our good buddy, Brandon, who couldn't be here tonight. Go to uh, thehuntfishlife.com and link up with them on social media. Um, a lot of good stuff coming in there. In the last few days, There's there's been some uh, good laughers that have been uh, posted there. But um, uh, don't forget about our other good buddy, Alex Gruen, another uh, longtime sponsor of this show. Go to alexgruen.com. Get yourself set up with a premium hunt planning service offered by the number one guy in the biz, Mr. Alex Gruen. And uh, you know what? This would pair nicely with a, uh, you know, subscribing to Alex's services. Get a My Season Report, look at what your options are, and then get Alex working on your plan for uh, where you're going to go. And uh, so make him a lot of time and, and get a lot more out of it. Yeah, for sure. For yeah. sure. Definitely uh, help you prioritize where you want to go and, and, you know, get in contact there with Alex. And then don't forget, we mentioned them several times here. Good old Spartan Forge. Uh, man, do I use them a lot. This shed season, I've used Spartan Forge, man, daily, pretty well daily. I'm on there just looking at property boundaries, who owns what, what's the habitat structure look like, um, what's the what's the crop rotation, all of that stuff that you can get from Spartan Forge. So make sure you go check Bill and his team out there at Spartan Forge and, and pick up a subscription there as well. And last but not least, head over to First Gen Hunter and uh, do whatever you can to subscribe, follow, everything else so you can keep up with my latest content there i love you all thank you so much for uh, tuning in every week just got some more uh, good listener feedback tonight and that's always a uh, bright spot in every day or week whenever it comes in and um, just thoroughly enjoy hearing from you guys so keep up the interactions there uh, uh, it's just a, a really special part of doing this i do it for you so Make sure you uh, reach out. And thank you again, Chris, for giving up some of your valuable grading and lesson planning and, uh, you know, just detoxing from a day of school that you uh, <laughs> that these evenings provide for us. And thank you again for uh, offering this great service to us as hunters. No, I appreciate the opportunity to come on and, and talk about it. For sure, man. We'll have to have you back on sometime for a good episode of Hunt Therapy. Sounds like you got some good uh, good stories that you'd enjoy sharing with the rest of the first-gen hunter crew that comes on on a pretty regular basis here. So, uh, Absolutely. Let me know yeah. and I'll be on. Yeah, that sounds great. All right. Well, thanks again. Thank you, everyone else. Remember to take care and take someone hunting.